Welcome, everybody. Hope you had a great week. I was listening to Bill O'Reilly this week. Bill O'Reilly has an internet news show that he engages in, and he was debating Chris Cuomo, the brother of Andrew Cuomo, and Chris made a startling statement that I thought was so relevant to the text that we're going to be looking at this morning. Chris Cuomo said the following, and I quote, if you call yourself a Christian, live it. People are saying they're Christians, but go on an attack on social media, acting like demons. Forget about love and mercy and tolerance and anything to do with the message of Jesus. Ouch. People are desperate for division, he said, end quote. And he was challenging Bill O'Reilly, and he was challenging conservatives. Now, Chris Cuomo was right. There's a lot of talk in the church, but there's not a lot of doing. There's not a lot of Christians maybe showing love and mercy, but where I disagree with Chris is he wants to emphasize the love, the tolerance, and the mercy of Jesus, but typically they don't want to talk about the judgment of Jesus. They don't want to talk about Jesus pointing out sin. But Chris Cuomo is right. Christians don't obey the Word of God. And that's the theme of James chapter 1. So I invite you to turn to James chapter 1 this morning as we look at verses 19 through 27 as we continue in our verse-by-verse study through the book of James. And the title of this message is How to Be an Obedient Christian. Or we could subtitle it and say Stop the Lip Service. In fact, this text is a reason why I would say that many people today are turned off by the church. Now, there are always going to be people that find excuses as to why they don't want to come to church, why they don't want to be a Christian, and they will use any excuse, but we don't want to give them ammunition. And I think the church today, because there's a lot of hypocrisy going on in the church, many people today are turned off by the church because they're not living obedient lifestyles. Now, James is writing, as you know, to a group of Jewish Christians, and many of them had orthodox theology. In fact, in chapter 2, They were like the demons. They affirmed the oneness of God, the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. They had correct theology, but many of them were not living out their faith. This is the reason why Jesus indicted the religious establishment of his day, because they were religious hypocrites on the outside. They went through all the perfunctory rituals, but on the inside, they weren't obedient to God. Now, when I talk about obedience, as James is going to talk about it here, being a doer of the word, what is obedience? There's many definitions, but simply put, obedience is conforming your life and your attitudes to the word of God. And it's not just avoiding the negative things. You know, when we talk about obedience, we talk about fleeing from pride, fleeing from greed, fleeing from lust fleeing from gossip and slander and all those things. And and that is true. We want to avoid those things. That's part of obedience. But obedience is also doing those things that God calls us to do in a positive thing. God wants us to help the poor. He wants us to care for the needy. God wants us to read our Bibles. God wants us to share our faith. And so obedience involves not just the negative, but it also involves cultivating the positive injunctions of Scripture. Now remember, obedience is one of the marks of a true Christian. In fact, today we see a lot of people who say they're saved, but their life is not marked by obedience. We're not going to perfectly obey God, but Jesus said it is the mark of a true disciple. Listen to what he said in John chapter 8. He said this to the religious establishment, 
to the Jews who had believed in him. Notice they made a profession of faith. They intellectually agreed that Jesus was the Son of God, the Messiah. Jesus said to them, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so Jesus says it's a mark of a true disciple. If you read the epistle of 1 John, John makes it very clear. If someone says that they know God, but they live a lifestyle of disobedience, John says that they're a liar and the truth is not in them. Now, obviously, God knows the heart. My job is not to go around saying, you're saved, you're not saved. But if a person professes to be saved, but their lifestyle is marked by disobedience, we have every reason to question the genuineness of their profession of faith. And make no mistake about it, we're all going to struggle with obedience in our life. Paul did in Romans chapter 7. He said, the things that I should be doing, I don't do, and the things that I should avoid, I end up doing. And so we're all going to struggle with obedience. But the issue is not the perfection of our life. The issue is the direction of our life. And so the question is this, how can I be an obedient Christian? Well, James gives us in this text three ways in which you and I can be obedient Christians. First of all, we must reject sin. We must reject sin. Notice what he says in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. He says, this you know, my beloved brethren. In other words, what I'm about to share with you is an axiomatic statement. It is a self-evident truth. Here it is. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside, and there's the idea of rejecting sin, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. The first way that you and I can obey God is we must reject sin in our life. James uses the term putting aside. That's an interesting word in the Greek because it means to take off a filthy garment. Years ago when I was in high school, I had several football buddies invite me with their dads to Waco, Texas. Went to Waco, Texas and was able to confront David Koresh. No, I'm just kidding. But I went to Waco, Texas to go hunting for the first time. We went behind a truck, we shot rabbits, we shot deer. And one of the experiences that I got to experience was riding a four-wheeler. And I remember we went to this area that was a mud pit, and we rode around on these four-wheelers, or maybe there were three-wheelers at the time. And I remember all that mud was coming up from the back of the three-wheeler, and we were literally covered and caked in dirt. When we got back to the house, we had to take off our filthy garments. We had to strip them off. They wouldn't let us in the house because we were filthy. And James says, if you and I are going to be obedient Christians, we got to take off the garment of sin on a regular basis. Now, he tells us what sin. He says, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness in verse 21. What does filthiness mean in verse 21? Well, filthiness is an interesting Greek word, and it refers to wax in the ear. You all know about this. I don't want to get too specific with it, but we all know what Q-tips are. In fact, they tell you not to use Q-tips because uh, you push the wax further in. I had a good friend of mine in high school. His sister had a problem with wax in the ear. Her ceremonial gland produced too much of it. And so she would have to go to the 
ear doctor, and he would take this long tube, and I believe there was some heat in it, and what he would do is he would extract the wax from the ear. And the reason why is because we know that too much wax in the ear impedes our natural hearing. And what James is saying here is just as wax impedes our natural hearing, he says sin in our life impedes our spiritual hearing. That's why we have to reject or put aside all filthiness. But then he uses another term. He says all the remains of wickedness in verse 21. What is the remains of wickedness? That simply refers to sins that carry over from our BC days, sins that we bring into our new life in Christ. We all have them. We all struggle with them. I had a friend who said, you know, Mike, one of my sins before I came to Christ was anger. He said the slightest thing, the slightest provocation would set me off. And he says, you know, now that I've been saved for a while, he said, I'm not what I used to be. He says, I'm able to control my anger. He says, but I still struggle with it. I'm not what I used to be, but I'm not where I need to be. See, we all have the remains of wickedness, things from our BC days that carry into our new life in Christ that we have to constantly put to death. We have to put off those filthy garments. If you haven't seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution, I've mentioned it to you before. You need to rent it. It's really a story about the hippie movement and how God saved a lot of the hippies during the 1960s and 70s. Calvary Chapel was birthed out of that. There were about 1,500 Calvary chapels worldwide. And Chuck Smith, who is the bald guy up on the screen, he said that they were baptizing 900 hippies a month for three years. Traditional churches had shut out the hippies, get a job, you stink, wear some shoes. Chuck Smith reached out to them in love. The Holy Spirit convicted him and said, don't judge them, love them, reach out to them. And so he did, and God birthed a movement out of that. And one of the gentlemen saved with the long hair is a man by the name of Lonnie Frisbee. Lonnie Frisbee was instrumental in the beginning days of the Jesus People movement. God used him. But one of the things that he struggled with from his BC days was a homosexual lifestyle. When he came to Christ, no doubt he was convicted of that sin, but he still lived in that sin while he was ministering for Jesus Christ. And you know what? He ended up dying of AIDS. He struggled. Do I believe he was a genuine believer? Sure. But I believe God chastised him and took him home early because of his lifestyle of sin. The remains of wickedness he did not deal with. And so James is saying here that you and I, if we're going to be obedient Christians, we got to reject sin. And that means laying aside filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. Now he gets even more specific with the sins that the Jewish people were dealing with when he says in verse 19, this, you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear. Now, why would he mention that? Well, remember when the writers wrote, they wrote specifically dealing with certain behaviors in the church. And if you read the epistle of James, one of the things that you realize that they were dealing with in the church was rancor. They were dealing with acrimony. They were dealing with arguing. And what was going on is Christians were not listening to one another. They were arguing because he says, everyone must be quick to hear and slow to speak. If you read the epistle, there was slandering going on, according to James chapter 4. There was gossip going on. There was selfishness. People had an agenda. And what was happening is, rather than listening to one another, they were fighting with one another. And notice it was creating anger because he says, slow to speak and slow to anger, 
For the anger of man, verse 20, does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, if you live in anger, and this is sinful anger, he says it doesn't produce the righteous life that God wants in our life. And so it's obvious here that as you get specific with their filthiness and the remains of wickedness, what many of them were doing from their BC days is they were talking too much, they weren't listening to one another, they were fighting, there was anger, it was like a Jerry Springer show, and they were bringing that into the church, and many of them were dividing over this stuff. And listen, we all struggle with this too, don't we not? Even though we're saved, even though we're redeemed, how many of you men have heard from your wife Listen, you are hearing me, but you are not what? Listening. You ever heard that before, men? Sometimes we don't listen like we should. And what happens is we get going and we start talking. And you know what? When there's a free tongue, when there's a loose tongue, it creates arguments, it creates fighting. And that's exactly what some of them were doing. In fact, I read about a church in Jacksonville, Florida, that was engaging in this kind of rancor. In fact, it was an embarrassment. This church was divided. The pastor was basically put out of the church and he felt like he was illegally put out of the church based on the bylaws. And he wanted to inquire into the finances because he was told that some people were stealing money from the church. And so basically they voted him out and him and his followers began to worship outside and they changed the locks on the church And so him and his people that were following him couldn't get into the church, and the people that were in the church were saying, you're not allowed in here. And so it led to an argument on Easter Sunday, and they had to call the police. And so it went to court. And you know what the judge said? The judge said, wait a minute, this isn't behavior that's taught in the church. You guys need to bring mediation into this, and you need to solve the problem. Some people were accusing the pastor and his followers of one of the followers saying, We're going to drive by the church and we're going to riddle it with bullets. And I'm thinking, see, this is exactly the behavior that James is dealing with in the church. And he says, if you're going to be obedient Christians, doers of the word, you got to reject sin. What's the sin? He says, filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. And to get more specific, he says, you need to be quick to hear. God gave us two ears and one mouth. You need to be quick to hear, to listen to one another, slow to speak, don't slander, don't gossip, don't be critical, don't complain all the time. And he says, stop the anger because your anger is not leading to the righteousness of Christ. In other words, it's not leading to the righteous life that God desires. Now listen, rejecting sin in our life is foundational to being an obedient Christian. To use a word picture... We need to pull the weeds of sin in our life on a regular basis. All of us know what weeds do. They choke out healthy grass, healthy plants. And so we're constantly having to pull weeds in order to allow the grass and the flowers to grow in a healthy way. Well, listen, I don't know about you, but I know in the garden of my heart, weeds are constantly popping up. In fact, I rent my house And the landlord that I rent from, he has a huge area that's like a flower bed area. And I thought to myself, man, I wish this wasn't here because now I got to tend to this. And I'll tell you what, I use Roundup on a regular basis. And then a week later, more weeds are coming up. And so listen, you and I have to battle the weeds of sin in our heart. They're constantly growing up. And you and I pluck the weeds of sin through confession and repentance. I have to confess my sins probably on a daily basis, repent of them. Why? It's not the goal of my life, although sometimes I sin willfully, knowing God will forgive me, and so do you. 
But you know what? We all have to deal with the weeds of sin in our life. And you know, we got to use spiritual roundup. We all need to spray spiritual roundup in our life on a regular basis. But listen, you cannot be an obedient Christian if you're not willing to reject sin and deal with sin in your life. And you know what I have found? If you don't address sin in your life, your heart, the garden of your heart, will be overrun with weeds of disobedience. And disobedience is not just outward behavior. Sometimes it's my heart attitude that's wrong. I have done things on the outside, but my heart was wrong, and I've had to say, Lord, forgive me for not having the right heart attitude. And so the first way that you and I can be obedient Christians is we must reject sin. There's a second thing we must do to be obedient Christians, and that is we must receive the word. We must receive the word. Notice, if you will, verse 21. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness, He says, in humility, here it is, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Now, remember, the word of God was implanted into the soil of your heart. And when you accepted it, when you mixed it with faith, it produced the fruit of salvation. But even though the word has been implanted in your heart at salvation, you have to constantly nourish your heart with the word of God. Listen, we know that... Life is produced by a man and a woman, but ultimately that life has to be sustained by giving a baby milk. And so it is, if you and I are going to obey God, it's not enough just to reject sin in our life. We have to receive the word of God. To continue the analogy, we not only have to weed, but we have to feed on a regular basis. We got to fertilize the soil of our heart with the word of God if you and I are going to grow in our walk with God. Now, what does it mean to receive the word of God? It simply means that you make a priority out of reading the Word of God. Read it like a novel, but that's not enough. You ought to meditate on the Word of God. You ought to study the Word of God. You ought to memorize the Word of God. We need to be word-saturated. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell within you richly. It says in Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. The word meditate means to cogitate on it. It means to let it percolate in your mind. 1 Peter chapter 2 says that we are to crave the word like a baby craves its mother's milk. I love Jeremiah. He says in chapter 15, verse 16, when your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. Do you have a delight in the word of God? You're not always going to desire to get into the Word of God. But listen, if you stay away from the Word of God, you don't have a delight in the Word of God, you're not going to grow. You're not going to be an obedient Christian. How can I obey God if I'm not in His Word and I don't know what He requires me to do? In fact, I was on the phone with a friend of mine yesterday that I've been discipling, and I asked him, I said, how are you doing with spending time with God? He said, well, I'm struggling to get it in the morning. And then we talked about how it's good to read the Word of God in the morning and also to end your day reading the Word of God before you go to bed. Why? Because it helps you to have the mind of Jesus Christ. And so we got to make it a priority. I mentioned to you before that Charles Stanley mentored me from a distance when I felt the call to ministry in my early 20s. And I was going to school in Birmingham, Alabama at the time. And so I won't give you all the details, but God orchestrated an opportunity for me to be able to meet Charles Stanley. And so I drove to Atlanta, 
walked in his office. Obviously, I had to get permission from the secretary, but I showed her the letter that he had written me. And so I walked in and we had a great conversation. And before I closed, I said, Charles, I said, I'm going to be going into full-time ministry. I said, what bit of advice would you give a young man going into ministry? Charles Stanley never said, Mike, grow a big church. Mike, do this, do this, do this. You know what Charles Stanley said to me? He said, make the priority of your ministry the meditation of God's word. He said, if you meditate on God's word and imbibe it and do it, he said, it's amazing what God will do with your life. And he's right. We need to receive the word of God on a regular basis. And you say, well, what's the reason? Well, notice what he says back in verse 21. He says, receive the word implanted, here it is, which is able to save your souls. Now, the Bible talks about salvation in three ways. It talks about I was saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. I was saved, that's justification. I am being saved, that is sanctification. I will be saved, that is glorification. The three tenses of salvation. Which tense is James talking about here? Well, the context is sanctification. In other words, if you and I are not regularly in the Word of God, we're not imbibing the Word of God, we're not living the Word of God, he's saying you're not going to grow in your walk with God. No word, no growth. And notice he says we're to receive it with humility. Why is that? Well, because sometimes we don't like what the Word of God says. Sometimes the Word of God is a double-edged sword. It pierces us. It confronts us. We got to be open. We got to be teachable to hear the voice of God. And listen, obedience is not just conforming my life and my attitudes to the word of God. It is listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, because there are times where God may tell you to do something that you don't want to do. I had a friend, he said, the Lord, he was driving by a particular nursing home and the Lord spoke to him about going to see somebody. He was tired and he said no. And he avoided the prompting of the Holy Spirit. The next day that person died. See, sometimes God prompts us and we need to listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because if we don't, in humility, receive the word implanted, if we're not teachable, you know what? We're not going to grow in our Christian life. How many have heard of Karen Carpenter? Karen Carpenter, back in the 70s, she had a great voice. I know it's kind of elevator music, but she had a lovely voice. I love her music. Well, you know, Karen Carpenter died of anorexia. Problem is, she had an image problem. She thought she was overweight, and she kept losing this weight. She kept binging and purging, and then eventually it shut her heart down. She was an anorexic, but you know what? In the American church today, we have a lot of spiritual anorexics. When you look at their bodies, they're healthy, but when you look at their souls, they are malnourished. They are starving. Why? Because they're not students of the Word of God. They don't meditate on the Word of God. And listen, daily bread is good. Nothing wrong with daily bread, but you got to go deeper beyond daily bread. You got to go beyond a verse a day keeps the devil away. You've got to be in the word of God on a regular basis. And so James here says that we not only must reject sin, but we must receive the word of God. Well, there's a third way that you and I can be obedient Christians, and that is this. We must respond to the word. We must respond to the word. In other words, we must obey the word. Notice what he says in verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. James says it's not enough to hear the word of God. We must be obedient to the word of God, albeit we won't be perfect, but we must put into practice what we hear. Hearing the word of God is like putting gas in your car. Doing the word of God is pushing the gas pedal. 
Hearing the Word of God is putting food in your mouth and chewing it. Doing the Word of God is swallowing that food. Hearing the Word of God is taking a nail and putting it on a two-by-four. Doing the Word of God is driving that nail in the two-by-four. You see, there's a distinction between hearing the Word of God and doing the Word of God. I want you to notice a word here. I want you to circle it in verse 22. He says, prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely circle the word hearers. That's an interesting Greek word. We get the word auditor from that. When I was in seminary, I had to go, and I remember uh, I would have syllabus shock because in all my classes, I mean, I was given a boatload of stuff that I had to read. I had to write papers. Well, after I graduated from cemetery, I mean seminary, I went back years later, and I took classes at the seminary because they offered them at a discounted rate, and I was interested in the information. But here's the good news. I was an auditor because I can listen to all the lectures, but I didn't have to do any of the required assignments. And that's what James is saying here is don't be a mere hearer of the word. Don't be a spiritual auditor. And listen, the landscape of Christianity today is littered with spiritual auditors. People who come, hear the word of God, they do nothing about it. You say, how do I know that? Well, 10% of Christians, they estimate, are involved doing anything with their faith. Did you know that? 10 or 20% of Christians are doing all the ministry in most churches. Now, obviously, there are exceptions. It's called the 80-20 principle. It's called the Prieto principle. It's a business principle. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. By the way, that's true at a picnic. 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. I'm in that 20%, by the way. Or how about this? 10% of the American church is doing all the tithing. Only 10% are giving their first fruits to God. That says to me that people are hearers of the word and not doers. Or how about this? 10% probably less are even sharing their faith. They haven't shared their faith in years. They don't know how to articulate your faith. And listen, I'm not getting on to you. I'm simply challenging you that, as Chris Cuomo said, if we claim to be Christians, are we demonstrating it with our life? And you know what? Let's get back to the foundations. Most Christians are not even obeying God at the foundational level. They're not, they're not reading the Word of God. They're not praying. They're not even consistent in church attendance. And listen, I'm not legalistic. You're going to miss church at times. I understand that. But listen, most Christians can't get the foundations down. If we can't get the foundations down, how are we going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? I was listening to my daughter this week. She was reprimanding my granddaughter. She told her to do something, and she wasn't listening. And so she said, now you are being disobedient. Come over here for some discipline. You know, God sometimes says that to us. You're not listening. You're being disobedient. And you know what? We're all disobedient. No one's perfect. We're all going to struggle. And the Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. That's why we confess our sins and God is faithful and he's merciful. And I love the fact that God is a God of grace. He's a God of patience. He's a God of mercy. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins, but listen, he wants us to strive for obedience. Now, James gives us three reasons why we're to be doers of the word, why we're to respond to the word. First of all, to avoid deception. Notice, if you will, verse 22, to avoid deception. He says, prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. 
In other words, if we're not careful, we assume that if we listen to the Word of God, we've done all that we've needed to do. And that's easy because we get into these habits. It's kind of mindless habits. We go to church, we hear the Word of God, we rate the pastor's sermon, we have cue cards in the back, hey, Nimmer hit a 10 today, next week, well, he kind of got a 3. And a lot of times, we evaluate sermons to critique them, and we're not interested in obeying them. And you know what? We're living in deception. Christians today love to flit from one seminar to another, one conference to another, but there's no life change. Why is it the American church has more information than any generation in church history, and yet there is less impact in the American culture because we're not doers of the word? We're deluded. Oh, I heard that sermon. It was a great sermon, but we don't do anything about it. So James says we need to be doers of the word in order to avoid deception. But there's another reason, and that is to avoid forgetting. Notice, if you will, verses 23 through 25 of James 1. He says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word, that's an auditor, and not a doer, he is like a man. Now, the Greek word here is not mankind in general, but a man in particular. Because you know men... Men don't hang out of the mirror for the most part. My wife said to me one time, she said, I would never marry a man that spent more time on his hair than I do. I said, well, you married one because I don't spend a lot of time on my hair. But here he says, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. In other words, he sees that he has a problem and he forgets to correct it, and he walks away, and he forgets. But, verse 25, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, he gazes into the Word, he stares into the Word, he stoops down and takes a close look at the Word, and he says, not having become, here it is, a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. James says we need to be doers of the word to avoid deception, but secondly, to avoid forgetting. And here's his point. He says, if we don't apply what we hear, we're going to forget it and we won't do it. And he says, it's like a man. You know, a man goes into the mirror and he looks at the problems. I know that as I've gotten older and I look in the mirror, I have to put glasses on because my eyesight's not what it was. And the reason why is because I realize as I've gotten older, I have hair coming out of everywhere. And so when I look in the mirror, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you get hair in the ears and the nose and everywhere else. And if you don't look at that and you don't correct the problem right there, you know what a man does? He looks at the problem and he walks away and he forgets that it needs to be corrected until someone comes to you and says, Nimmer, nose hair, Nimmer, nose hair, Nimmer, nose hair. Oh, thank you for pointing that out. I've had that happen before. Some of you have already pointed. No, I'm just kidding. You see, a mirror doesn't correct the problem. A mirror exposes the problem. And the Bible says the word of God is like a mirror. It exposes the problem. But he says, just like a man, if you don't deal with the imperfection that you see in the mirror, he says, you'll forget. And he says, same with the word of God. God speaks to you about something. If you don't act on it, you'll forget it. We've all done that before. So he says, don't be a forgetful hearer. A third reason why he says we need to do the Word of God, not only to avoid deception, not only to avoid forgetting, but thirdly and finally, to be blessed, to be blessed. Notice what he says in verse 25. But one who looks intently, and by the way, that's not a forgetful hearer. This person studies the Word of God. He says, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, and notice he calls the Bible the law of liberty. Isn't that an interesting term? Because that's an oxymoron. 
Laws tend to restrict. Don't do this. Don't do this. He calls the Bible the law of liberty. See, the Bible sets people free. He says, the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, notice what he says, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now listen, blessing, we often think of it materially in the American church. Well, if I hear the word and obey it, God will bless me. And there's a general truth there. Joshua 1.8, he says, then you will be prosperous, then you will be successful when you meditate on the word of God. But listen to the Jew, blessing was not just material, it was peace of soul, peace of mind, usefulness, bearing fruit. Psalm chapter one, streams planted by living water that bears its fruit. That's blessing. Years ago, I was going into a city, I had to rent a car, and I got on the bus that would take me to the rental car place, and the lady driving the bus, she had elevation worship on, and I, it caught my attention. And then she had a sign at the top of her bus, I took a picture of it, and it said, blessed. And she had Jeremiah on there, that verse 29, 11. And uh, I went up to her afterwards. I said, sister, keep doing this. It's a great testimony. You're spreading the word of God. Great job. I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever gotten in trouble for doing this? Because this is a public transportation. She said, no, no one's ever said anything to me about it. But it's a witness. And what caught me was she said, blessed. James says, you and I need to do the word of God. Why? to avoid deception, secondly, to avoid forgetting, and thirdly, to be blessed. God wants to bless us. Now listen, this doesn't mean if you hear the word and do it, you're not going to suffer. It doesn't mean you won't go through difficulty. There are Christian missionaries who obey the word of God and they get their head chopped off for it. So our definition of blessing is not always what the world's definition is. God's definition is different. You say, well, Mike, how can I do the word of God? How can I do the word of God? How can I obey it? Well, James closes with three practical things that you and I could do. Now, the reason why he mentions these three practical things is because he was dealing with issues to the Jewish people to whom he was writing. He could have wrote about many ways to do the word of God, but he zeroes in on things they were struggling with. So you got to fill in the blank. First of all, if you want to do the word of God, he says, control your mouth. Ouch. Notice verse 26. If anyone thinks himself to be religious, hey, I go to church every week. I show up at outreaches. And yet does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart. This man's religion is worthless. Ooh, ow. How many of us struggle with controlling our tongue? I'm not going to give a lot of commentary on this because we're going to get to that chapter in chapter 3 where James gives a whole diatribe against the tongue. But he says this, if you want to be a doer of the word, control that little organ in your mouth. That's why it's in a cage. To control the tongue. Why? Because they were fighting and fussing, slandering, gossip, critical spirit. How many of you struggle with complaining? We all struggle with that at times. He says, control your tongue, because that was destroying the church to whom he was writing to. Secondly, if you want to do the word of God, care for others, care for others. Notice what he says in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. Here is what God considers true Christianity, to visit orphans and widows in their distress. Wow. Is that not an oversight in the American church? Now, I realize we don't deal with this as much, although there are churches that have orphans and widows. 
I did a missions trip to Africa about 20-something years ago. I did a pastor's conference, and I understood for the first time 1 Timothy chapter three, 5, where Paul told Timothy to care for the widows, because in that African culture, there was widows everywhere. In fact, I preached at a church where 90% of the members of that church were widows. He says true religion, if you want to be a doer of the word, you need to care for those who are hurting. In that culture, it was the widow and the orphans. Orphans are those who have no parents. By the way, that's why next month we're starting a nursing home ministry. We're going to go to several nursing homes, and we're going to go once a month, and we're going to minister. The reason why I do that in every church I'm in is because of this verse. And when I was at Calvary Chapel, we started to reach out to some of the orphans. I need to find out if there's an orphan ministry here in Columbus. Sometimes it looks different here than in other countries. I get that. But here's a principle. If you want to do the Word of God, care for others in general. It's not just the orphan and the widow. It's people that are in need. Do we care? I said, Lord, we need to do something with the people crossing the border. Now, I'll tell you my view right here and now. It's a biblical issue. I believe people should come over, but they should come over legally. The Bible says to obey the laws of the land. One guy said, well, what about all the people that are here now? I said, we need to love them and care for them. And I said, Lord, what can I do? I don't live there on the border states. What can I do? Because I don't want to be disobedient to this passage. We have to have a compassion. For some of you, it's using your gifts to help others and show mercy. Well, there's one final thing that we can do to do the Word of God, and that is choose separation from the world. Notice verse 27. He says... Pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. What does that mean? It means you don't allow the system, the values of this age, the ungodliness of this age to mark your life. Now, we all live in the world, but the Bible says we're to be in the world, not of the world. We got to go into the world and reach lost people where they're at. Sometimes the church becomes so sectarian that we pronounce judgment on the sinners and we don't reach the sinner. And I know there's a balance. We got to be in the world, but not of the world. And listen, why is it the church today takes on the character of the world? We're too much like the world. And John said this, do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You know, up in Jersey, where I pastored for a while, there's a convenience store called Wawa. You ever heard of it? Wawa? They got great food there. I mean, they got bagels with pepperoni. Oh, they're delicious. But I used to go in there all the time. And you know what? They don't allow smoking in there. But when you would walk in, smokers would come in. And I'm not here to pronounce a diatribe against smokers. That's not the point. But smokers would come in who had that smoke on their body. And there would be times where I would leave the place. I'd come home and Laura's like, smoking cigarettes lately? No? No? You know what happened? I went into Wawa and the smoke attached itself to me. And I smelt like a cigarette. That's how the world attaches itself to us. We all have to fight it. So James says you want to be a doer of the word. There's three ways that you and I can do the word of God practically. Number one, he says, control your tongue. Number two, care for the needy. And number three, choose death to the world system. So let me ask you a question as we close. Are you known as a doer of the word or simply a churchgoer? God's not just interested in Sunday Christians only. 
Let me say that again. He's not just interested in Sunday Christians only. Coming to church or gathering with God's people is important. I don't want to denigrate that. But what God is interested in is obedient Christians. And so would you be known more as a church goer or a doer of the word? How can you be a doer of the word? Three things, James says. Reject sin, receive the word, and then finally respond to the word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word to us. Thank you for challenging us. We know that James does not pull any punches. He goes right for the juggler. And God, we come to you as a church. I know I come to you as a preacher and everyone here, Father. We all admit in humility that we have fallen short, that we disobey your word. We're not perfect. And I thank you that you don't deal with us according to your, our sins because, Lord, you are merciful. But maybe you're sitting here this morning and God has spoken to you about something in your life. Maybe God wants you to address it. Are you open to hear the Spirit? Are you teachable? For some of you, it may be your marriage. How many couples go into counseling and nothing happens in the marriage because they hear the word, but they don't do the word? Maybe it's on your job. Maybe it's with your children. Whatever it is, what is God speaking to you this morning about? For some of you, it may be getting involved. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. I pray that we would take it to heart. And God, forgive the American church, Father. We are notorious for being hearers of the word and not doers. Forgive us, and I pray that you would revive your church. We give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, don't forget, uh, we have the clipboards. If you want to sign up for the small groups, I'll be announcing in the months to come the different outreaches that we're going to do. I want to challenge you to pray about how you could be involved. Those of you who are serving, keep doing what you're doing. God bless you. Let's stand together as we close in worship. And listen, our mission is to reach the lost, but it's also to grow. And if we're going to grow, we got to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Encourage you. Spend time this week with God. God bless you and have a great week.